Podcast. I am your host, Brian. Over there is Alex, of course. Hello. So I wanted to do an update real quick on the fires. We we talked about uh, firefighting last episode, and at the, yeah. at the time, I believe I would have said that there are, were 35 fires in the U.S. That's what my notes say. So I looked right now. Um, obviously, July 4th has come and gone since the last episode. We did have to have a, a little break. Mm-hmm. Um, 52. Oh, wow. So 52 fires have burned more than 1.1 million acres in 12 states. That sounds like a lot. It does. And I don't mean to start off the show negatively or anything. <laughs> jump, know, jump. As we discussed, that's not necessarily all negative. No. Right. Um, some of those areas potentially need to burn. Right. As we discussed. Yep. Um, oh, wow. Alaska. According to, I will say, this is a different source than last mm-hmm. time. Uh, but they're saying Alaska has 18. Really? Colorado with eight. Where in Alaska would those be? Way up north, I guess. I'm not totally... Uh, I might be able to quickly... Alaska fire map. I bet people love listening to... <laughs> oh, current wildfires. Look at that. The internet in the information age. It's incredible that I could just type that in and say, could you please show me all the current wildfires in Alaska? <laughs> oh, of course, sir. You know, please. Um, they're all over the place. I'd be happy to. According to this map, they're, I guess, I guess they're in the, the center of the state. Okay. The more northern half being clear, and the more southern half where Anchorage and and all that is, being relative. I mean, it makes sense based on what we talked about last time, but I just don't think about there being, wildfires in Alaska. It just doesn't seem like it should be. They got a lot of trees. Happening. They got a lot of trees, but man. There's a lot of trees, a lot of land. So yeah, things things went up. Uh, in Colorado here, we did have uh, plenty of firework-free attempts attempts at firework-free Fourth of July celebrations. Hmm, okay. um, definitely some cities and stuff obviously did not go for you know a, a traditional display, but there were still plenty of fireworks going off. Yeah, I had an interesting firework experience this year actually. Um, I was in South Carolina at the beach, and um, so the way I don't, I don't, they're definitely not legal in South Carolina officially, but um, you know, once it got dark, we just went down to the beach, and it was like a party on the beach, just people everywhere, you know, people with glow sticks and lights and flashing lights and blah blah blah, people just everybody bringing their own fireworks basically, okay. and launching them off randomly. Just like out in the ocean, just launching mortars and stuff? Just up above the beach, yeah. Um, That's it, cool. Honestly, when you walked out onto the beach, it was a really cool atmosphere. It was like a big party on the beach. Um, now, it's definitely a little dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> there was actually one instance where, uh, I don't know what exactly they were shooting off, but whatever, it fell over, so it just kind of shot at oh, people no. on the beach. Oh, it no. didn't seem like anybody was hurt. None of these were professional level fireworks, but still. Um, and it was also very windy at that moment, so um, yeah. But overall, pretty cool. And I was worried that I was going to go to the beach the next day and there was going to be shit everywhere. Uh, but that wasn't the case. So it seemed like people, at least in our immediate area, 
picked up all their trash, so that was good. That is good to hear, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's always good to hear. So it was cool. Good experience. Fireworks are kind of dumb, though. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yes and no, right? Like, standing right there, and especially if you get to light it and it shoots off, you're like, yeah, that was cool. Yeah, yeah, it it is cool, but... But ultimately, from a wider perspective, you're like, wait, no, that's that's dumb. Like, why, why? Yeah, just to make, just to blow stuff up, which is, was a perfectly valid thing. I'm not sure, unfortunately, mm-hmm. these days. Maybe you do it in winter. Maybe we should just move the blowing stuff up to winter and then just <laughs> reduce the risk of... January 4th. There's nothing to do in the winter anyway, so let's, right? let's do all the blowing stuff up, you know. When it's safer. Yeah. All right, let's let's uh, let's get into it. So um, I'm going first. So I think it was on even, I think it was on the podcast, but your, and I'm pretty sure it was the, I didn't go back and listen, the tea episode where you did tea. Okay. I remember that. Either you said it or I just thought of it or whatever, but uh, the idea of silk came into my mind at that point. Oh, interesting. Because the, the material silk, I, I don't know, at least I kind of understood that it did come from something called the silkworm, but I had not really, mm-hmm. you know, don't know anything. And it has always been weird that, like, this fabric that is really cool for a lot of different reasons would just come from a worm. So anyway. When I think about the word silk, I think of, like, the material is very luxurious. Yes, that's... I don't know if that's true. That's a fact. Or, okay. well, we've we've bestowed that property on it but sure from the from the get-go that was the case okay as soon as somebody figured it out we were like oh okay yeah that's really all that i don't know it sounds like it would be hard to clean that's all i can that's all i can say (laughs) yeah uh well there's there's parts of that so it's uh it turned out to be a decent uh pretty fascinating um topic so where does it let's start with where does it come from uh the legend um is that yeah, the Yellow Empress of China, uh, who was enjoying her afternoon tea beneath a mulberry tree when a silkworm cocoon plopped into her cup. As she tried this to fit, just like the tea story. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> As she tried to fish it out, the cocoon began to unravel, and the shimmer of that long silken thread would inspire the Empress to invent, I believe it's pronounced sericulture, S-E-R-I culture, one word, sericulture. Oh, okay. And uh-huh. that's the that's the art of making silk. Oh, so I didn't realize it was an art. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But you'll learn. You'll learn. So, uh, so the silken thread would inspire the empress to uh, to invent sericulture, the art of raising silkworms. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I thought that legend was pretty funny because the same. So where does that fall on the Chinese dynastic timeline? Uh, you know? we'll have to. I'll give you a quick, but it's, um, I want to say it's like 3000 BC. So silk has apparently been around for potentially up to 8,000 years. Hmm. Do you think that they've discovered a lot of things by having things drop into cups? I mean, (laughs) anything that we consume or like, (laughs) well, what's, what's really crazy about the, the falling into the cup thing, the cocoon is as I'll describe the process a bit in a minute, but mm-hmm. dipping the cocoons in a liquid to get the threads going is part of it. Oh, okay. All right. Sounds legit. 
right? So it's, I was going to make a joke about like you know discovering steak because like you know a fresh cut of meat just fell into somebody's cup, but that's not really the fact that that's actually part of the process. That's that's interesting. Uh, two six uh two thousand jeez, two thousand six. Oh my goodness, BC, twenty six hundred BC. <laughs> okay. I was looking at the the trying to look at too many things at once there. All right, so. So four thousand years. That's four thousand well, years ago, but I did as I was looking around. Um. There are some historical evidence, or not historical, archaeological evidence, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, that suggests it might have been around longer, but okay. that's not really the point. So what is silk actually? Like what, that was one of the things that I just kind of figured it was like, maybe like spider threads or whatever. And it, it kind mm -hmm. of, ultimately it kind of is, it's a protein, okay. it's a protein fiber that mm -hmm. these little worms, and they are actually worms that turn into moths. Um, and although you don't want them to, if, uh, if you're making they stop silk. making silk when they're well, they kill them. flying. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. They they, uh, they dip them in boiling water. Or, the moth? Uh, the cocoon, before it turns into a moth. So Why, yes. Why though? Uh, uh, give me one sec. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, silk is a. Uh, I shouldn't have jumped ahead though. Silk is a natural protein fiber which can mm -hmm. be woven in textiles and all that. It's made by mm -hmm. the worms. Um, so yeah, that you raise the the worms and. Uh, there's a specific process that I can I can lay out um, that they go through, and uh, ultimately the silk from the cocoon itself is unwound, and that mm -hmm. ultimately becomes silk that you can then dye. And, okay. And so what makes this protein it? fiber different than others? I mean, I'm, the the silkworm isn't the only animal or insect or whatever creating. A protein like this, I'm right? Sure. So one of the ones that makes silk, in, are these particular? Because there's a couple. Technically, there are a couple different worms within the family that you could potentially do this with. Um, mm -hmm. But the the appearance and to a certain extent the texture um, of silk is is the result of prism the prism like structure of the silk fibers themselves. So on the microscopic level, mm -hmm. everything's in in triangles or pyramids, if you will. And um, that allows the silk to reflect the refract the light in the way that it does. You know, when silk's very oh. shiny and it's all uh, when it's been dyed with colors and whatnot, it can yeah right, that that right. light bounces very nicely. So that's mm -hmm. all due to the the actual molecular structure of the silk itself. Okay. Um, then it's also quite strong compared to just other types of moths and and mm -hmm. um, a lot of the a lot of that type of stuff. Like when you look at a picture of, of what the silkworm is doing, um, it's, it's very, how do you say this? The cocoon it's building with these strands of thread, I don't think is super common or not even necessarily super common, but it's not the only way to do a cocoon. A cocoon. So uh -huh. they they chose to do the cocoon that way. And then those additional properties, it's really strong. It's got that prismatic structure, those things mm -hmm. um, okay. ele elevated to a certain point. Because um, when when the silkworm, one of the first things that it does is it makes a very stringy looking bed basically, and then it wraps itself in the in the cocoon, one one strand at a time. Can you provide a 
size reference on like the worm and the cocoon and and all that? Yeah, uh, I'd say the cocoon with the little bed thing that it makes looked to be maybe four inches and egg shaped. So the the tall mm -hmm. the the lengthier axis of the egg, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, maybe four inches, three inches. It's actually bigger than I had in mind. Yeah, it didn't it didn't look incredibly small. Um, mm -hmm. However, the eggs that the worms that the worms lay definitely mm -hmm. very very small. Um, apparently, they're pinpoint sized. A hundred of oh, them. A wow. hundred eggs weighs a gram. Whoa. <laughs> um, from one ounce of egg, three thirty thousand worms. Damn nature. Which eat a ton. I, I believe they're saying an actual ton of mulberry leaves. Uh, that's the food that they eat, is mulberry leaves, and that's the only thing. The reared ones, at least, the the, the silkworms that we cultivate, mm -hmm. the the proper way to do it is they eat that's, a diet of mulberry. That's all they're interested in. Yeah. Does that make the best? I'm sure that makes the best silk in yeah. the end. So I can I can I can run through the um, the process is pretty wild. Okay. Um, I can run through that pretty quick. Mm -hmm. So obviously the, the the moth lays the eggs, the eggs hatch, they form larvae, caterpillars mm -hmm. known as silkworms. So they're I guess I should have said caterpillar at the start. Um, so they um, they put these caterpillars on these trays that I guess they can't. Uh, they got little walls so they can't crawl out of them, and mm -hmm. they put these trays in racks, kind of like a bakery, you know, like uh, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Um, mm -hmm. And then these are in a room. And the room starts off at 65 degrees, and over the course of a few weeks, I've, however long that portion takes, it goes from 65 degrees to 77 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> Very specific. Okay. Extremely. And this is all the, the this is the modern process, but it's been pretty, as I understood, or at least as I understood it from what I was reading, um, it's pretty close to what they were doing. The temperature part of things seems to be a little more modern, but mm -hmm. the uh, the overall process was pretty much figured out by the Chinese, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago. So, which is pretty sweet. That anyway, cool. I can believe so, that. So every half hour, they are fed hand-picked mulberry leaves. So all day, every day wow. for every in each half hour, <laughs> they get yes. hand. And this, so this is like if you were buying the finest, most high-quality silk. I mean, so is this tray like? I mean, is it packed with these worms? Yeah, they, it's like they're... a couple square feet, you know, like uh, six yeah. by six by four maybe. And yeah, it's kind of like packed in there. I don't know if they're they didn't look extremely. Uh, I don't know, hundred. I mean, 200? if they need to eat these leaves every yeah. half hour, there must be a decent amount. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, there is a lot of worms to the point where, um, if you have a large enough like room full of these things, apparently mm -hmm. when they're all munching. Uh, on the leaves, it sounds like rain hitting a roof. What? That's <laughs> crazy. <laughs> I w that's a sound. If I had a list of sounds, which I don't, that I need to hear at some point, maybe that's... I should make one. That's on there now. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. Cool. Okay. So in one month, they increase their weight one uh, ten thousand times. <laughs> oh shit! So obviously they don't start with much, but yeah. The fact that they do it 10,000 times is, uh, yeah. Imagine a, if humans grew like that. Uh, I mean, be a problem. it would be a huge problem. Do we? No, not no. even close. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to make sure before I 
Because, I mean, think about that. You're, you're, yeah. I mean, what are you born at? Like, anywhere from, I don't know, Eight five pounds. to ten pounds? Like, yeah. that range? Yeah. Ten pounds would be a huge baby, but whatever. It's probably happened. Hey, oh, yeah. Okay, so, um, they, they go through the worms themselves once they've eaten and they've molted several times. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They form that stringy nest or bed that I was talking mm-hmm. about. And then once that's formed, it uh, then it builds itself the cocoon using the using the thread that ultimately mm-hmm. we will we unravel for the silk. So that cocoon. So, be, go ahead. Sorry to keep interrupting you. I'm just no, trying no, to get good. this visual yeah, down. Good. So they're all they're all on this tray. Let's just look at one tray, and they're all building their own little bed next to each other. So almost the entire bottom of this tray or whatever is going to be. Just covered with these yeah, little beds, pretty much. Whatever they look, little egg shaped beds. Pretty much. Okay. Um, they don't need. They don't need to attach to anything. They just. Are I these just, metal trays. What are they? I just googled. I just googled it. The ancient ones, because I was looking at some ancient pictures. The ancient uh-huh. ones just looked like, just as I described, pretty much a flat tray. But I'm looking yeah. at a couple of them right now, and they are circular. And mm-hmm. um, imagine a, a spiral going from the outside in that's oh, that's a raised wall and the silkworms uh-huh. are just yeah they're just in it huh yeah, okay just little little eggs these ones look mm-hmm. well those ones look big like i described oh, those anyway okay so yeah they're, they're all in this tray a bunch of them i mean i'm looking at again i'm clicking on another one yeah there's like a hundred worms just munching on leaves <laughs> they're big as far <laughs> they're big as far as like caterpillars go you know those ones that we had around when we were growing up the uh-huh. inch and a half maybe long these guys are like three times that damn so the silk worm does thing it gets into the cocoon i didn't find i'm sure there is a specific amount of time you wait for when the cocoon you know once they build it to when you take yeah. it but right. i did i didn't see that um and so yeah they either take the cocoons and they dip them in boiling water Apparently, you can bake, bake them as well, um, or uh, yeah, boiled or baked. So that kills the worm. Yeah, that kills the worm. <laughs> Let's just be clear. And I'll I'll add right here that there is plenty of, uh, you know, if you asked any animal rights group, they would tell you that the silk practice is obviously not okay. Right. So then they hmm. um, they use this little brush and they brush the outside of the cocoon uh, mm-hmm. to basically find the the thread, find the the end of it, and they use this wow. little brush to like just find it and you know mm-hmm. just get lucky and pull it off. And then from there they apparently un- they just unwind it, and then a number of unwound cocoons get braided into a line, and then which mm-hmm. can then potentially be braided up further, and and then you're you're off and running. So like six cocoon, six separate lines, each from mm-hmm. a single cocoon is is usually, or at least what I saw, was potentially the minimum for one, one, one five strand, right? One strand, right? Damn. And then they a lot uh, of a lot of silkworms are dying for this material because by the time you actually have something usable, I'm glad you asked. Um, it oh shoot, where did it go? 2,500 silkworms produce mm-hmm. one pound. One pound? Of raw silk, yep. 
So 2,500 worms. Which could worms. be what, like, how many square feet of silk? Ooh. I don't, I don't really think about material in pounds. That's a or, good, you know, that's a good point. Textiles, that, rather. That unit of measurement's not the greatest. Yeah. Um, Either way, though, I mean, it's, would you it's, say 2,500? Yeah. So what is, like, a, I mean, a, pound a pair of, of jeans weighs, what, like two pounds or something? Yeah, more than a, yeah, more than a pound, for sure. So if you had a silk pair of jeans, silk jeans, well, you could. You've, you've killed, like. A lot. 4,000. Yeah. Silkworms for that pair of jeans. Yeah. A pair wow. of silk pants. But a pair of silk pants, I mean, that sounds kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, are, so, I mean, there's a lot of by hand process here. Um, feeding, yep. picking, unwinding. It's a six. Do they have machines that at least, like, once you've unwound the cocoon, you can... Yes. Load up all these strands and make it yep. into the actual usable yep. material. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, but it's a, it's a six month process in terms of, you know, the, the natural, the way that worms would naturally be in the wild. Spring mm -hmm. is when things start going. You do it through mm -hmm. the summer and by fall, it's, it's ready to go. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. So then the other cool part of, um, of silk. So that's obviously the process. Um, Oh, yeah. Earliest examples of silk have been found in tombs 8,500 years old. So that hmm. kind of conflicts with the Yellow Empress legend, but oh well. So um, silk was, as soon as people got their hands on it, like Western civilization, so ancient Rome, when the Silk Road opened, and like, uh, it's literally called the Silk Road, and that's mm -hmm. because people wanted silk. Like, that is the reason. Uh, so 200 BC. Um, no, I'm sorry, AD. 280 uh, is when that happened. So that's, and so the silk was only coming out of China. It was only made in China, um, mm -hmm. and it was really expensive to go that far. You know, you had to cross if you wanted silk in Rome. You know, you had to cross all of Eastern Asia, and you know, go through India or go, at least get to India. You could buy silk in India at the time as well. Um, after by 200. Uh, by that point, when the Romans found out about silk, like silk had even at that point been around potentially for like 4,000 years. And, right. You know, Western civilization had no idea. Meanwhile, the Chinese are like, yeah, we have these dope clothes. Uh, <laughs> are these worms only naturally occurring in Asia? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so, but by the time the Romans and, and West sort of the beginnings of Western civilization, I guess, um, mm -hmm. Found out about it. It had made its way to Korea. So the silkworms in the process had made its way to Korea and also mm -hmm. to India. So you could get it from a couple of places, but the really really good stuff came from uh, came from China. So the demand was like so crazy that the Roman Senate, at a couple of different points, either successfully you know introduced like maximum uh, import rates, so like you could only get. 100 pounds imported into the city every week. I'm, make, I'm making that up, but yeah. you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, at one point, I guess they tried to ban it altogether because people are dying over this stuff. You know, it's so <laughs> it's so valuable that it's causing a problem. Yeah. Um, so naturally, somebody wanted to steal it. Um, the Chinese Duh. apparently that you know they were where the 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 Asian culture, the Chinese cultures, I guess, were not willing to just 
hand over the whole process. Mm -hmm. So there are a couple. It seems the most the most accepted theory on how it happened was this guy Justinian the first um, was a Roman, sorry, a Byzantine um, head of state, emperor, whatever. Mm-hmm. And he either they either came to him after the fact and just chose him as the guy to like try to sell the stuff to, or he sent these two monks. It differs on what type of monks they were, Nestorian or Catholic or whatever. So, but somehow these guys, these two monks, went into China and were the first guys able to steal. Um, they stole some eggs and apparently hid the eggs in. Uh, bamboo canes like walking canes Ooh, interesting yeah so they hid them in that but they also had to get away with um chinese slaves that knew the process because if you didn't know that you had to do the whole temperature thing you didn't know about mulberry bushes you didn't know about all that stuff you wouldn't be able to do it i mean it just this is strikingly similar to the process of stealing the tea yes it is (laughs) it is it's crazy right Tea, oh, like poor China. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, the, uh, these monks uh, stole this stuff, and I, again, either were sent there with the express purpose from Justinian, or Justinian was the one that they they picked to sell their goods to. But yeah, yeah. they stole these uh, slaves and eggs and got back, mm-hmm. and um, that was when uh, silk was be- started to become produced in in uh, Western civilization. But it took forever. The historical record, the archaeological record, kind of suggests that the silk production didn't really become any anything economically powerful, I guess, until mm-hmm. maybe 100 to 200 years after the eggs themselves were first delivered. So that's how long it took them to, like, both actually gr- figure it out and actually figure it out and both grow and, and also get enough worms again. Cause I think they only stole, you know, a handful of eggs, let's say. Oh yeah, that's true. I mean, that was risky. Right. If right. They didn't survive or they didn't breed them properly or whatever. Right. Hmm. So a couple other, so yeah, the stealing and that specific legend I was, I found pretty fascinating. Um, that there's this big secret and there's this item that's arguably the most luxurious item barring gold. Um, like this silk, you know, the silk was like, again, it was extremely sought after people got yeah. robbed. People died for it. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it was a, it was an issue. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, and that was in 551 AD. So this is three. Oh, wow. This is roughly 350 years after they first find out about silk. So it took that long to steal it. Yeah, I mean, multiple generations planning yeah. on stealing and I, it. And I have to imagine that at some point, you know, somebody probably successfully got eggs out at one point, but maybe they didn't get the knowledge of the process. Yeah, so it be. it took that long to get all the pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and I it, maybe it does. So how did that affect the value of it? Well, it took a long t- it took a long time to change things, but ultimately it did end China's monopoly on yeah. uh, because once that culture, the Byzantine culture, and then the Ottoman, the Turks came in and conquered them relatively soon after. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they took the whole silk practice and added their own influence to it. And actually most of the, I shouldn't say most, I'm not exactly a silk expert, nor is it in my life all that much, but uh, a lot of like that design, uh, the designs that we know today come out of Byzantine type culture rather gotcha. than Chinese. Hmm. So they kind of took it over. Right. We added our own thing to it. Um, some other theories on how it got out of China and into the quote Western world, I guess. <laughs> um, the Vikings, this they may deserve, not may, they definitely deserve their own segment. There's just, there's evidence, I don't know exactly what evidence, but the Vikings at this time would are just apparently in contact with like almost the whole world. <laughs> so, <laughs> or at least the known world as far as like the European and the Asian side mm-hmm. of things, you know. Um, and p- potentially, there is potential evidence that they, they made it to North America. But anyway, um, so it could have it could have happened with them. Um, the monks could have actually been uh, Persians who would have been geographically in between the Byzantines and the Chinese. Uh, mm-hmm. It could have been the Persians defecting or, or doing something, you know, it came through them potentially. Um, then there's another legend that in 440... Um, a Chinese princess was was uh, courted and and eventually went with uh, a different uh, culture, mm-hmm. and she snuck eggs out in her hairpiece. Damn. Yeah. So <laughs> nice. All right. Yeah. So that's um, that's silk. So, for... so what is today? What's silk look like, and what's the market and it's are we using it still i I have no yeah so i'm certainly not a customer i have a little bit on that it's it's um it's it's a labor intensive process as Mm -hmm. you might imagine and so it doesn't really have um prop real real silk that comes really from the silkworms is still basically just as it was it's a very luxurious item that yeah, you is going to cost a lot, and if you go get you know if you get the really good stuff that's made with the proper process, um, that's going to come out of like a a designer, you know. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. a it's a high class material still. So what's normally made from it? Is it like shirts and stuff? I know we were talking about pants earlier, but um, yeah, not as all kinds of stuff, dresses, of definitely dresses yeah. and that sort of thing. Um, silk underwear is a big thing. Oh, that uh, sounds comfy. Yeah, definitely. I could uh, probably rock that. Yeah. Um, hmm. Scarves are big. Uh, silk scarves are definitely a big one. Now, there's got to be a formidable synthetic at this point. There is. Yeah. Um, not. Well, yeah, no, there is. Um, but it's obviously just like a, uh, quote, fake diamond or whatever. Right. It might look feel taste the same but you know it's not the real thing there's something about murdering those silkworms that's uh... <laughs> <laughs> i gotta oil this chair it's making i was leaning back and it's making all kinds of noises i bet that's annoying yeah, as hell Probably so of mine. some other thoughts <laughs> some other thoughts on this um i just the the whole the commodity part of it this this thing that people really want and just i just 
find it so funny, human nature, um, when there's a material thing that we want, you know, we will do whatever to get it. Right. And so you think about like oil, like silk is like, or oil is like the modern day silk in a lot of ways. Like wars have been fought over oil and not. Yeah. 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 But oil, I mean, oil's providing us. Sure. You know, it's not the purely means a luxury. To do a lot of, a lot of things. Whereas yeah, silk is totally frivolous and unnecessary. Um, Gold you and, and I both get by day to day without silk, but we use oil every day. That's a fair point. I'll yeah. give you that. <laughs> I see what you, I see exactly what you're saying. No, course, yeah, but. yeah. But well well said. And again, I just wanted to touch again on the fact it's literally called the Silk Road. Like it just Oh it yeah. Plug- what the what is that? Oh, what is the Silk Road? Um I mean I know the term, but I don't really know. It's a it's a trade route that covers the length of, you know, France basically, the mm-hmm. the eastern, western edge, excuse me, of Europe, all the way to the Chinese east coast. And this is still an active route. No, no, no. Okay. No, it was a. Uh, I don't know the real. Well, I guess it was opened in 200 AD. Let's say. Mm-hmm. And Genghis Khan, it was still around when Genghis Khan was a thing, which would have been about 12, 1230. Um, so somewhere's, well, it was around for quite a long time. Yeah. I honestly don't know when it sort of fell apart. Probably after after the Khan dynasties eventually fell, would be my guess, but I don't honestly know. Hmm. Uh, but it was a trade route. One of the things about it, though, was it was a trade route um, where... At least at certain points, especially during, funny enough, the the points at which the, the Khan dynasties ruled, you could go along this trade route and walk that whole length without being accosted, robbed, hmm. uh, you know, any sort of thing. Um, especially, yeah, especially, again, under the, the Khan rule, because mm-hmm. they're, they would kill anybody who broke the rules. So <laughs> Naturally. So people followed the rules. Um, but as soon as that sort of rule <laughs> fell apart, um, I want to say like 300 years later, maybe, mm-hmm. then I, I imagine. Because then you're starting to get into the 1400s, the 1500s, the middle evil, medieval era. Hmm. So yeah, that's Silk. Um, Interesting. Kind of cool. I, I dug the legend. That it was, is cool. Yeah, yeah, I had no idea there were so many worms sacrificing their lives. I don't even know how popular silk is anymore. Yeah, you know, no let, me, idea. let me grab a quick modern... Let me see if there's a quick... Um, I was looking to see if uh, there was, like, some sort of... If I could see any sort of production numbers. I'm looking at Wikipedia. I don't want to have too much dead air if I don't see something real quick. No. Yeah. Yeah. I'll find. I can maybe find something for. Uh, I'll follow up next episode. Okay. All right. So, didn't really make this too easy. Um, <laughs> all right. So the connection that I'm gonna I'm gonna try to draw here. So just like you're talking about smuggling, in a sense, the the silk eggs and and the worms and everything. Sure. Um, my topic also has in a sense have to do with smuggling um but drugs 
milk silk. <laughs> I mean, that is the traditional. Uh, drugs are traditionally the smuggled item. So, and before we started, I mentioned I was going to do something a little different. So I'm going to do my best here to basically tell you a story. Okay. Um, but interrupt me along the way and ask questions. Okay. We'll see how it goes. Um, I'm good at interrupting. <laughs> I think we both are pretty decent at that. <laughs> so I may have mentioned this to you before, um, but actually what made me remember this was last episode when you talked about briefly the um, the guys who were selling the uh, the airplanes, right? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, the Forest Service scandal. The Forest Service guys that were taking <laughs> and selling the airplanes. So that's what yeah. made me think about this. Okay. Um, so a couple years ago, I have a friend uh, that I met in school, and he grew up in Florida. And so he told me about this story. Um, have you ever heard the guy's name who's in the story? His name is Donald Arono. A-R-O-N-O-W. I don't. No, doesn't jump out. Okay. So... I'll set the stage. This is going to be in Miami in the 80s. So <laughs> you know what that's <laughs> You know what that's like. We're running drugs. <laughs> um so basically this guy Don he I believe he grew up in like the northeast New Jersey whatever. Um and he was looking to get out of the northeast so he packs everything up, and he moves down to Miami. Um, and basically what he gets into is building and racing boats. Okay. I so like he it starts so out. Yeah, so he starts out, I believe it was either late 60s, early 70s. Okay. Um, and so this guy, he's like, he starts to become, like, super well-known and famous um, in the whole boat racing building community that's kind of taking place down in Miami at this time. Um, so he is this like tall, handsome, just super likable dude. Uh, everybody starts to like him. He's becoming really well known and famous and he's got famous friends and, um, he actually starts to, uh, not only is he building boats, but I believe, believe him himself is racing his boats as well. So he's he's becoming, of course, you know, kind of like a, a I guess a, a local legend. Yeah, yeah, like a living local legend, badass guy, and um, he's also known to be um, quite the ladies' man. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you know who this sounds like a little bit, at least. Who's that? Um, I mean, there's a bunch of them out there. But, um, thinking of the particular F1 Playboy. Um, oh shoot, Hunt. Goodness. Hunt like, is his last name. Yeah. Um, oh goodness. Uh, it doesn't matter. There's a yeah. an F1 Playboy who is very similar to what you're describing. Okay. Especially the ladies' man part. Yeah. So this guy is the Playboy of boat racing. Um, so. Uh, you know the term cigarette boat, right? Oh, of course. He, this guy, Donald Arano, is responsible for creating that style of boat. Oh, wow. Yeah, so... Um, not actually, it was called what, some, I'm yeah. not sure if that's a good thing, actually. <laughs> well, I <laughs> mean, boats. it's it's the, like the Kleenex of boats, right? You say even any boat that is giant, long, 
super powerful people are like, oh, that's a cigarette boat, right? But that's actually whether it brand. is or not. But that's yeah. uh yeah, that's kind of something he started. There were some other names for him too, but yeah. Okay. He's responsible for creating that. Um so <laughs> where the story starts to get really interesting, like I said, eighties, Miami, drugs. Boats. And boats. There so seems I guess... to be some islands maybe potentially involved. <laughs> well, Miami, if if anybody listening doesn't quite understand why it's so significant with the drugs, is just like, you know, they're coming up out of um, South America and everything, right? And planes can only come in so far, so what they do is they're going to drop the drugs out into the ocean somewhere, and then you're going to go, the people who are smuggling them into the States through Florida, because that's just geographically a very it's accessible, yeah. easy way to do this, are going to take out a boat and go pick up what's been dropped into the ocean and, and you know, bring it in. Um, so it turns out that a lot of the people in Miami at this time who are competing and winning and famous in this boat racing community are also running drugs by night. Yeah, um, they got the fastest boats. They can outrun anything. Well, right. And who's building the boats for them? Our Don guy. Aronow. Yeah. Gee, Donnie, what are you doing? <laughs> so Don's got a lot of friends. He's got friends in the mafia. He's got friends that are just, you know, honest people that want boats. Um, but he's, you know, traveling the world. He's building boats for, you know, uh, sultans across the world. I forgot. I didn't write them down. But um, well, So he's he, building royalty boats. Oh, he's building. He's becoming very, very famous. And he's okay. building boats for royalty. Um Cool. And, and somebody to keep in mind here who's pretty important to the story, uh, George H.W. Bush, Sr. What? Yeah, they're buddies. Oh, okay. And wow, you just, okay. <laughs> so he's built, uh, he's built boats for him. He's built boats for, um, who was before H.W. In oh, the no. presidential line. You're killing me. Uh... <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Either way, it's gotta be he's Reagan. built boats for, um... Various yeah. presidents, and so he's on that level of of fame at this point. Um, <laughs> yeah, so these people are using his boats to run drugs. Um, he's building f- the fastest boats, and uh, the Coast Guard and Customs Agency uh, in the U.S. at this time isn't able to, they don't have the proper equipment to keep up with these drug runners who are also the people racing at this time. <laughs> Real quick, this is yeah. this is amazing because this is exactly what the land version of drug running, the liquor, you know, the, the origin of NASCAR. Um, Pretty much, yeah. That's what happened. The criminals had the faster cars in the beginning. Mm-hmm. The criminals were like, oh, we're just going to go faster than everybody else, and mm-hmm. we're good. So this is now boats. Yeah. Um so, and the thing is, is Don knows, he's, Cops. well, he knows everybody. He knows who he his customers are. He knows he's supplying the biggest, fastest, most powerful boats to these people that are running drugs. He's, right, of course, of course. Uh, the story goes that he himself was not running drugs necessarily. He was pretty clean in that regard. That would be um, a smart decision. Right, but he knew who he was selling to. Um. So... <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you well. might be judging. Well, <laughs> 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 well, 
well, there's a lot of mystery here, and okay. and so we'll try to pick it apart. But um, so all's going well for Don. He's got plenty of money, and I guess um, one thing he actually had multiple companies under his name. He would kind of build up a brand and then sell it, and then start a new boat company, maybe hmm. to because he knew who he was selling to. Maybe that was kind of a way for him to not yeah. be attached to one for too long. I don't right. know. Right. Right. Um, but that was kind of his strategy. He did this like three or four times, I believe. Interesting. Yeah. So he's supplying the boats. Um, he's friends with George H.W. Bush, um, who realizes the problem at hand here where they don't have fast enough boats, uh, the custom agency, that is. So H.W. approaches Don and says, hey, we need some boats. <laughs> Because these these people running the drugs are too fast. Don accepts, so now he is building the oh, boats no. for the drug runners, and now he's under contract to build the boats that are supposed to catch for the government. You know, yeah, for the government. Yeah. So he builds what's referred to at, the project was referred to as Blue Thunder. Um, he builds. <laughs> he starts to build these boats for, uh, or at least the contract set in place. I believe some were built. Um, for the customs agency, which are now faster and better than what he's supplying to uh, the drug runner. So he's, I mean, you he's, see where uh, this, how this is a problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is... Uh, it's a little bit of a conflict of interest going on. Yeah. Um, so... Especially because he chose, or maybe was forced, or just couldn't really hide it. He, you know that the cop boats are faster. That that's not going to go over well. With, right. Uh, Somebody's going to be mad about that. Yep. So it kind of starts to fall apart when he sells the company um, that's now contracted to build Blue Thunder. He sells it to um, a guy named Ben Kramer. So Ben Kramer is. Um, He's he's already won. He's in the boat scene, Ben Kramer, and he's he's won some championships. I guess I'm not too familiar with what boat racing was happening specifically, like you know, straight line drag boats or I, well, in terms of like the organizations and stuff, but or what the competitions were. But this guy is known for winning boat races, but apparently he's also the biggest marijuana smuggler by night. Uh, <laughs> Dude, this Ben Kramer guy. This this Miami town. Dude, fucking Miami, man. <laughs> Sounds... How wild would it be to be there? Oh so, man. Actually, real quick, an addendum to the story. My friend that introduced me to this whole thing, he's I don't know, ten years older than me, and this happened in the eighties, so he was definitely young, probably when this was happening, but old enough to remember it going down. Um. Anyway, so. Well, yeah, cause sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. So Reagan was in office until 89, and so okay. W. Bush, or sorry, geez, <laughs> um, George H.W. Bush was his vice president and, you know, got Yeah, the, so got I the, believe, yeah. So this would was... have been like, um, well, I guess George H.W. Bush probably wasn't president when he was coming to Donnie. I don't think so, because he was also <laughs> the head of, like, the CIA at some point, and... H.W. Bush? I don't know. Yeah. 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 I don't know. So he, so just to put this on a timeline, I should have said this initially. Um, yeah, this is all going down. 
Yeah, mid eighties. Okay. We'll leave right. it at that for now. Okay. So Reagan's president. Yes. Yes. But okay. So that means George H. W. Bush would have been vice president when he went to him to say, Hey, we need some boats. Which is still that's pretty Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Yeah, this guy does know people. Damn. <laughs> it's it's wild if you actually go look at the list of like who he's built um boats for uh, yeah, you like don't just Shah of Iran um yeah Bush himself oh um Lyndon Johnson he built boats for he built Damn. multiple boats and for, mo- for presidents when, yeah yeah when people <laughs> I guess um Lyndon Johnson would race his boats at his ranch with like his secret service agents or something I don't Hell know yeah. that's crazy <laughs> Um, all right, sorry, derailing. No, that's all right. So Don sells the company that's now contracted with the U.S. government to build Blue Thunder boats. He sells this to Ben Kramer under the table. Ooh, so at okay. first, um, you know, the U.S. government isn't aware of the transaction. Um, but I guess it's no secret that of, you know, Ben Kramer's, uh, reputation. So eventually when the U S government, the coast guard or whatever, they get word of the sale that Ben Kramer now owns the company. They want out. They're like, okay, we don't want the, we don't want the drug smuggler to be now building the boats that were supposed to be used to catch the drug smugglers. So, uh, I guess they were okay when Don was doing it, but not Ben. Well, um, Don, Don, Don himself is the, Right. Yeah. Whereas, or I mean, sorry, Ben himself is the smuggler, whereas Don was not. Right. So, yeah, so they want out. So Ben is now upset at this, and (laughs) he he, he wants to back out of the deal. He wants to basically sell the company back to Don. Um, This is an under-the-table cash deal. Don says, no way. Um, So now there is allegedly some sort of, uh, you know, feud going on here so on let's see february 3rd 1987 don is at his shop and a strange man comes into the shop we'll just leave it at that says some things and it's getting weird and the guy leaves and then um don eventually goes this is like a dead end street where it's just like the famous boat building dead end street, I guess, in Miami at this time. So he goes out to his white Mercedes and he's he's in his car and a Lincoln Continental pulls up <laughs> and rolls down the window. And so Don rolls down his window and I think a few words were exchanged before uh, five shots were off and Don's now, it. not Don's dead now. <laughs> so he's murdered outside of his shop. Uh, February 3rd, 1987. Damn. Yeah, just in cold blood, dead. Um, huge deal, because this guy was super famous. Everybody loved him. Um, and now all of a sudden he's, you know, dead in a pool of blood outside of his shot. Gunned and, down, uh, yeah, gunned, gunned down. Gunned down. And um, so it gets really interesting in... Uh, so yeah, because like now, I'm th- my first thought was things people like Bush and whatnot are gonna have to distance themselves. 
Yeah, the, you don't the... want to be you don't want to be associated with a guy who's gunned down. That's bad. So I watched. Standpoint. There was a documentary made about this. Okay. You definitely low budget, but I, I definitely watched it. Okay, nice. I've and been... <laughs> they interview uh, Bush. Oh wow! And, okay. Oh yeah, it's pretty cool actually to watch. And he um, was just like really saddened by the whole thing. Seemingly, okay. at least he was like, okay. you know, I lost a good friend, and um, he had no. Yeah, the the story kind of falls apart there as far as Bush's involvement. There's really yeah, not I'm a sure. lot of controversy with him being involved. It makes it much of a higher profile of a story, I guess. But you know, there's no right. There's nothing right, undisclosed right. about his side of the story, anyway. Right. Right. Um, or or maybe least... that's just what they want you to think. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that's the thing. So this is not a cold case in the sense that it was never solved or never closed. Um, basically what the way this ends is it was like a seven year investigation. Um, and legally the accepted story is that Ben, um, Kramer, you know, the guy who was now upset because of the, the lack of being able to sell it back and all that. He hires a guy named, um, Bobby Young to kill Don. Okay. So I believe Ben was already in prison at this point for for running other drugs. things. Yep. Yeah, because you know this is, this is the, so this would have been now the sort of the end of the '80s, and the crackdown would have been sweeping through Miami at this point. Right. Yeah. So that's the after a seven year investigation, that's where they ended up. Is that Ben hired a guy to kill him? Um. But I guess there's a lot of holes in that story. Um, <laughs> I mean, right? That's that's. I mean, it's on the one hand, it's or on both hands, it's the obvious choice. But it's right. obvious you can understand it. But it's also so obvious as, that it's the suspicious choice as well. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, so yeah, they in this documentary they interview a lot of different people, and you know, some people were like, well, despite Ben's, you know. Drug running history. He's not the type of person to kill somebody. He knew Don extremely well. He wouldn't have Don wouldn't have sold him this company if they didn't know each other really well. Um, And it was just for the people that really knew these two guys. It very un or very surprising that this would have happened this way. They weren't buying it. Yeah. So there's some theories out there um, that it was actually you know like. a Colombian, um, sure, ordered murder, right? Because they were worried that uh, now that Don was involved with the U.S. Customs Agency, that they were gonna, he was gonna be able to, you know, testify against them or something, or right. you know, provide some some information that might harm them. So they needed to <laughs> eliminate clean, him, clean it up at his end. Yeah. And there, you know, the counter to that is that this isn't necessarily the way that a Colombian murder, in this sense, would go down. Um, you know, just a car driving up and killing him and driving off, whatever. Um, they did find the car eventually, uh, somewhere in like Ohio or Illinois or something like that. The car that did the shooting. Yeah, this Lincoln Continental. Uh, one thing that I I found pretty interesting is that. Um, 
somebody was like, well, you know, this doesn't seem like a, a Colombian murder because why would they do it in front of his shop and with all these people around? Because it was like midday or something. Um, Yikes. But the counter to that was, well, it's actually a perfect situation because there were so many witnesses that all the witnesses had a different say. The, the Lincoln was black. The Lincoln was blue. It had hubcaps. It didn't have hubcaps. It was dirty. It was clean. Blah, blah, blah. All these different things. So that kind of made the investigation a lot more difficult. You know, I don't have anything in front of me. And so this could be totally baseless claim. But I've read a couple articles and just over the years seen eyewitness accounts mm-hmm. are, are apparently one of the least reliable things in the world as far, <laughs> as, like far as that that context of knowing what happened. Yeah. Eyewitness accounts, as you said, can just totally vary from person to person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they definitely did in this situation. Um, there were a lot of interesting things that happened with Ben in this this uh, this other guy, Bobby Young, that was allegedly the person to shoot Don. Right, right. He's in jail. He so. um, he gets indicted, or indicted, rather, I guess, right? That's the right word. Yeah. Um, well, you get in- indicted, and then you get convicted. Okay, so the interesting thing is that the that law enforcement's basically making deals with these two guys, like... By him admitting to the crime, he avoided a lot of things like, um, I think he was set up for the death penalty for something else, and he got out of that by, um, by admitting to this, and I wish I wrote more, more down about it, but basically, law enforcement made deals with these two guys in prison, they were already there, um, it was very convenient for them to be... (laughs) the ones who supposedly carried this out. Um, so there's these two other guys that are part of the mafia, I guess. Um, I had their names up somewhere. Um, Frank Schweiss, uh, mafia hitman. And then there's another guy, whatever. Um, Basically, if you if you start to dig into the conspiracy side of this, there are two mafia hitmen that are potentially the ones who actually carried this out, mm-hmm. and it was somehow some someone was bribed to pin it on these two guys who were already in prison. It was very convenient to end the case, and so these two these two mafia hitmen eventually got off scot-free, killed Don, never paid any, you know, dues for it, and, and that was it. Um, yeah, it, so, it's a very complicated story. I try... It really, yeah. No, no, it no, really no, is did, complicated. No, I followed the whole thing. Um, I'm just thinking, like, you know, don't get involved with drugs at all as far as <sighs> smuggling them. Whether it be providing the guns, well, it's transport. just crazy that this guy was bold enough to sell boats to the drug runners and then and, the cops who are yeah. going to be pursuing these drug runners. That's, that's true. Crazy. I suppose. I suppose that's ultimately his fatal decision, and that really yeah, was, I think that was it, really dumb. He's that, the one who. I mean, he did it to himself. That's true. That's true. He sounded like a smart businessman in terms of making money, but that was a 
dumb decision. <laughs> Granted, but when the vice the president vice president of the U.S. Pr- approaches you, that's probably why he sold the company so quick. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, he probably knew. He was like, "Fuck, I'm screwed." Yeah, yeah. Um, so I forget how this ties into the story, but it's really hilarious. Um, Ben Kramer. Yep. Tried to escape from prison at one point. (laughs) And he did it by having his brother fly a helicopter into the prison grounds. And he tried to jump onto some sort of thing that they had hanging from the helicopter and escape. And the helicopter crashed into the fence. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What? (laughs) This is the craziest part of the story. (laughs) I know, I know. It is wild. And I can't really figure out, even after watching that documentary, how it really plays in. I don't know if it does, other than he was like, I'm fucking out of here. Okay, so the first thing that came to my head when you brought, or when you described that was like, what a risk for the brother flying the helicopter because... (laughs) Dude, they got him too. I mean, he he crashed the helicopter. He didn't die. Right, he's um, in jail now. So yeah, like, yeah, he's fucked too. <laughs> yeah, so like, not only was he out of jail, but he risked, you know, he risked both his helicopter, presumably. And... and you know what's crazy is apparently, at least the way they talk about it in the documentary is that, um, he was flying the helicopter, and I think Ben successfully got onto whatever apparatus they had for him to be airlifted out of the jail. And then, um, I bet his he brother got, didn't train with extra weight. I bet he didn't. No, apparently, and this could all be, you know, witness and hearsay, but sure. Uh, he got spooked by the guards reaching for their, um, oh, yeah. their, uh, not their guns, but their like walkie talkies or whatever. Um, so he thought they were reaching for guns. Really? They, well, they weren't, I guess. And so he got freaked out and crashed the helicopter. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> Dude, um, like that's like GTA type. I know, stuff. dude. The whole story is right. The whole thing is that way, which is really crazy because... great. I mean, you think about like Miami and the drugs in the '80s, and you're like, yeah, that's that's wild. But I mean, dude, this is it. Like, it's it really happening. was that fucking crazy. And this is like the the cherry on top of the whole thing, in my opinion. It's so it's a glamorous story. Obviously, he died. But, I mean, it doesn't get any more, you know, movie-like than this. Um, funny enough, you know what they do nowadays for those, uh, what the cops do nowadays for those drug-running boats? What's that? They, um, turns out, if you put a lot of practice in, it's, mm-hmm. uh, you can actually get very effective with a sniper rifle in a sling shooting out the door of a helicopter. So imagine okay. the, the door of the helicopter is open. You've got a, a piece of material slung from one side to the other. Like to support the gun? To support the gun. Yeah. And um, it's got a little bit of movement in it so that you can do, you know, you can, you have some mobility. And mm-hmm. they uh, they shoot the engine blocks of the boats. And I guess uh, a lot of the, you know, the, the pilots, or I'm sorry, the shooters that they have, have have shot from this platform so much. They're They're incredibly accurate at this point. Yeah. And so, yeah, they, they shoot the engine blocks of these things with, like, 50 caliber rifles. But you still, I mean, there's a lot of open ocean. Oh, yeah, yeah, you, when you when know. they find them. Yeah, when yeah, they when find they find them. them. Yeah, because yeah, this is obviously happening at night. 
Um, and that's that's a new thing. They weren't doing that in the eighties. Right. Though, I don't think. I wasn't, yeah, man. Um, I, that wasn't in the Miami drug trade. It really is a fascinating story. I hope I did it justice, but you should go and read a little bit about him and I this pulled whole up, story. I pulled up the Wikipedia page. I didn't read it. I was listening, but um, on him. Yeah. Yeah. So the um, he was fifty nine uh, when he died. Yeah, fifty nine. So the the uh, documentary is called Thunderman, and it's on YouTube. It's an hour long. It's called Thunderman: The Don Arno Story. I'm um, taking it to another level. I mean, I've done plenty of research for each topic, but uh, I've never watched a documentary for. <laughs> Dude, it's it's fun. <laughs> And it's good too because they try they tell you how the actual um you know the the case was on paper solved and everything but then at the end they they give you everybody else's doubts about how it actually went down and at the end they're basically like yeah you you got to make your own conclusion on this one. Right. Um yeah so it's it's seems to be I don't know what year it came out it seems to be a little low budget but it was fairly well done and it's informative so that's another thing um, that's quite or so, i should say something that just popped in my head that i find interesting uh like the actual getting away with murder and how that you could get away know, with murder i know yeah back then at least right yeah 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 it seems impossible that that would be the case but because you know we don't it, do, it doesn't seem like those two guys were actually the ones that did it I don't, I'm, I'm kind of convinced that they're not right. Just based on some detective, yeah. I'm, I'm obviously speculating here, but some detective was like, you know, this case has been open. It's now mm-hmm. a thorn in my side. I've got these two Russian guys that I can pin it on. And right. Maybe it's a deal. Maybe they're cool with it. Um, apparently that, that story that I just made up is just as plausible because of all the preceding events, right? It's just as it would make just as much sense as everything else. Yeah. And uh, this <laughs> this Bobby Young guy, the guy who allegedly is the one who shot him, um, he conveniently died in prison. Ah. Yeah. Dude. Um, yeah. So go go watch that hour long video, and it's it's what a good was time. That about? What was the name again? It's called Thunderman, the Don Arano okay. story. Yeah, I thought I did. Arano. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, A R O N O W. Yeah. Arano? Is that how you'd pronounce that? Arano? You're asking the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> Stumbling over yeah. my words at the start of the episode here. Can't even. Yeah, so just, speak I mean. Speak right. The, the elevator speech to the story, you know, famous boat builder, playboy, builds boat f- for the the drug runners and the and the law enforcement trying to catch them, gets himself into some trouble, ends up dead. I think that's that's pretty wild. That's movie shit right there. Indeed it is. It has a cool cover. I'm looking at the Google images. All right. I think there was a movie made that's more Hollywood. Oh, that maybe is what I'm looking at then. Uh, Thunderboat Row yeah. in 1989 is a, a movie that was made um, 
you know, with inspired by this whole Miami scene and, and right. then the, the Don story. So I didn't watch that. James Hunt, by the way, this is the F1 playboy. James Hunt. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> At least I did get the last name right. <laughs> I was worried that I hadn't. All right, well, cool. Mm -hmm. That was good. Hopefully you enjoyed story time. Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> Takes That's actually not that easy to do. No, there Piece are together a story like that. Especially point. on that. Didn't exactly yeah. start with an easy one. You gotta, you gotta build suspense. You gotta <laughs> mystery. Well, hopefully I did that. Volume changes. Hit your timings. <laughs> Key changes too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for, uh, right, thanks Joe. for listening, everybody. Yep. Catch you next week. See you soon.